if, if we could get rid of defecation in general, I would be all for it. I would give up almost anything. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We, we are, are Irenicast, a group of folks leaning into our progressive Christian imagination. I'm Jeff. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. And this is Rajiv. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we provoke conversation for shifting perspectives on theology and culture. Thank you for joining us. Once again, we are back. And this Woo-hoo! week... This episode we are returning to, we are going to be talking about deconstruction and reconstruction. Words that have been, I don't know, I guess we'll get into it, but probably a little overplayed. I mean, I think I think we're, our attempt is to get beyond the binary of deconstruction, reconstruction. Right. My hope is that you're always deconstructing, that we are always asking the good and hard questions of our faith and of who we are as people, for sure. Right. So we are going to spend the next six episodes on this idea of beyond the binary of deconstruction and reconstruction. I think a lot of the times the language is this finality to it, as if we're not always doing this in some way, shape, or form throughout our entire existence with faith, with all kinds of different things. We want to kind of create a resource with these next few episodes. Hopefully, we're bringing up some new things. Hopefully, we're reminding you of some old things. And uh, we figured for this particular conversation, we're calling it Waking Up, we're going to start with the beginning, those moments where, you know, what caused us to reevaluate where we are in our faith and in our life and our worldview and all that kind of stuff. So, we're just going to take some time and we're going to share our journeys and we're hopefully that those of you that are listening, some of them interact. For those of you that have been listening for a long time, you, you might remember some of these stories and some of these things that we're going to be talking about. But we think this is just a great place to start. And we're going to end the conversation with a short excerpt of an interview that Bonnie conducted with Debbie Glander that I think is super relevant, especially to this moment in deconstruction of waking up. Yeah, so we're going to kind of do it a little differently. You're going to hear from us. You're going to hear from someone else. And then uh, we got a fun segment for us that we, for everyone, I think it's new to the show. It's called this or that. And basically we are going to play the role of Thanos and we are going to get rid of 50% of something. (laughs) We're going to pick between two things and uh, rid the world of it once and for all. That's what's on the, the docket for today. So let's just get right into it. Let's start with that first question. What was our waking up moment or moments when it came to Entering into the realm of spiritual deconstruction. There's no singular moment for me, but I can trace some stuff back. And it depends on what we're talking about. Is it theology? Is it recognizing I'm really done with this church, this denomination? So I'll start there because I think that was probably the earliest for me. Uh, Growing up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, I grew up in a fairly liberal church in that world. Early on, like junior high, women's ordination was a thing. I, I mean, I can't even believe it's a thing. Was a thing then, and it continues to be a thing. Just feeling like, yeah, women should be ordained. It makes no sense. But part of that belief was we could reform the church from within. And then realizing, nope, this isn't going to work. These folks are doubling down and still don't ordain women. So there's that one thread. But I didn't leave Christianity. I was just like, well, there's got to be other Christian churches. And then there was a whole other series of things where the theology itself began to crumble. But it's a series of waking up moments 
along a number of different threads. So like lots of alarms <laughs> going off. And actually, mo- and, and most of them, luckily, I mean, Bonnie and I have been in relationships since our late teens. So quite often she was the first person that I would discuss that with. I think for me growing up, being born into a tradition that's like super high control, it's hard to find one's voice when like right from the very beginning, you're told that you can't trust your voice. So waking up in order to even wake up, I think there has to be almost an external force that sort of pierces through somehow and catches you and helps to awaken awaken that voice within you that says, ah, this isn't okay. The way people were being manipulated, for example, into accepting Jesus, like those, those are things that never felt okay to me. It took an outside reading books or paying attention to the broader culture to see that what was happening on the inside wasn't okay. But I had a very insular world. I mean, I wasn't homeschooled, but I was taught within the Seventh-day Adventist school system. So there, I had no social experiences outside of other people who believed just like we did. So it was challenging. And I, I imagine there may be some other listeners out there who have had a, a similar experience of being in a very insular community and needing the outside to sort of somehow penetrate that insular community in order to experience those alarm bells. I think for me, it was a choice of whether I choose myself and live or die. It was sort of, for me, some of you have heard in in previous episodes, me talk about my own coming out experience. The bells for me started when I began to realize that I had to either trust what was happening inside of myself and believe what was happening in me or take on the narrative of the churches around me that were saying that I was bad and broken, that God could heal me. I mean, I had been on all these crazy evangelical trips and seen crazy things happen. And if God could do those things, but still chose not to fix me, what did that mean? It meant that there was nothing wrong with me. I mean, there was a set of things, right? That that sort of internal processing and revelation that there's nothing bad about me being a gay man. There's nothing broken in me. But also just seeing sort of the the behind the scenes of how um, these high control environments were leading worship. They knew exactly when to play the music. They knew exactly when to take the offering. Beginning to see the manipulation of people's heartstrings and emotions and realizing that this was meant to control us. This was meant to do something to us. Uh, And a culmination of things, right? Other conversations, being able to watch movies like Saved, you know, when you get to college, you can watch whatever you want. Those are the things I think that started for me. But it started with that internal noticing and having to choose myself over the community. You know, and your point about life and death, Casey, is is legit. What you're talking about is not hyperbole. There is the physical reality of things getting to life or death crossroads. And I also think there's sort of this non-physical life and death moments that people face. Where, you know, I, I remember and an encounter from time to time where there's people, they're walking dead. It's like, who is this person? This is a shell of flesh and bone. But where is this person? Like, they, they have not 
they don't even exist in this plane. And that's just, that's so heartbreaking. So their heart's beating, you know, their lungs are breathing, but they're not alive. They have no self. I mean, that's so sad. That That's sort of the thing that, you know, I think about often is that a lot of us, when we came to the evangelical world or whatever high control environments as we're calling them, we were teenagers. And much of the things that they were saying from pulpits to teenagers are the very things that we were believing about ourselves, right? As we are going through puberty, as we are forming our identity, we already feel uncomfortable in our own skin. We already feel bad about ourselves as we are transitioning. To hear from an adult's mouth, you are bad and broken. There is nothing good in you. We're like, hell yeah, we believe that. that. That's right in line with where we are. And so we start as young people in a tradition and in a culture that tells us that we are bad and broken and we believe it until we don't, until we wake up. But these formative years play such a huge part in who we are. And we are, and for many of us, we were involved in situations where the only messages we were hearing affirmed the things that were being said in us to ourselves. And I think that that's, that's an important thing to notice. And, and that's a lifelong, you know, as we talk about deconstruction, I think for many of us, undoing some of those tapes is a lifelong process because that's all we ever heard. And it was reinforced by the adults around us. Yeah. And I mean, for some people, you can back up even further. You know, you're a two or three year old hearing those sure, messages. Sure. Yeah. And where your ego, starts is supposed to start to develop where you're supposed to realize that you're separate from the others around you and that they're that you get to have your own self and engage in the world as your own self not to or, or to to be told that your own self is bad and broken as you're saying Casey but then also to to constantly have that self sort of formed in a likeness that others have chosen for you and um and that's really challenging, you know, uh, to one's own self-development, like you're, like you're talking about. So it's not just internalizing those messages of like how bad and awful you are and how much you depend on God for survival and on this community for survival, but then also to never, never be able to hear your own voice, your own inner voice as a two and three-year-old, when that begins to form, because it's it's disciplined out of you, yes. which is what that high control religious environment is. It's like human formation within this, <laughs> within these environments is really awful. And when one wakes up to that, you know, these are the people who have fed you, who've clothed you, who've made sure you've had shelter. These are the people who have told you stories and you've sat on their laps and they've given you hugs. And like, where do you, then where do you go? Like, who are the mentors that's, that are going to help lead one out? And so waking up can be the loneliest, most yeah. desperate, most death-like kind of experience ever. And it's so it's this juxtaposition of like knowing that in order to preserve your life, you must wake up and you must find your way out and also feeling incredibly crushed because the only life you know is the life within this world and within these people. Yeah, it just I keep thinking of the Matrix. <laughs> it's, it's a lot like the Matrix taking the pill. Yeah, I 
you know, here's a little plug for Intersections, right? That's how we met Jeff. Jeff came and did an episode of Irenacast with us up here. Intersections was something that Bonnie Rajiv and I and Alan started as a way to have conversations about leaving these high-control environments. We heard so many people say, it wasn't the theology change that, that impacted me. It wasn't my deciding to leave a church. It was the community who abandoned me. It was the people who sat, who I did sit on their lap, who did teach me Sunday school, who did feed me when I was sick or, or visited me in the hospital, who the moment I made the shift in my life left me high and dry. That was the most common pain that I heard people express. I lost my community. They had very little care for their transition in theology, very little. I mean, it was a big shift, but it wasn't the thing that stung the most, right? I think that that with that, I think we're we're honing in on one of these key aspects. When I changed methods on how I cook my eggs in the morning, I didn't have wake up moments. I didn't have like this major epiphany. It was just something like, huh, I'll try that because there was no consequence, right? Like I wasn't going to blow up the house. Well, maybe I was, but <laughs> that, that wasn't in the the forefront of my my mind. But because we're surrounded in these high control environments, whether it's our religious upbringing or even just our family dynamics or perhaps a job that we've been a part of when there's so much weight put on because of that control. It's why we have this word deconstruction and it becomes this thing that is prevalent in this space, especially for those of us that are coming from evangelical backgrounds, because it is pointing to a system that is hyper controlling. And from my experience, there were the, you know, the Mr. Burns types that were like, you know, it was all calculated and, you know, they were just like to their core controlling people. But then there was all kinds of people who were, including myself, who were perpetuating these things with a very earnest heart hoping. And because that's all they taught was, this is how you help people change. This is how you help people. And I think that it's recognizing those waking up moments and recognizing whether the environment that you're in allows you to move to the next step of those waking up moments. In my experience, there was a lot of, you know, spiritual stuff coming from a Pentecostal background. So we were, we were encouraged to discern the spirit was the the term that was used a lot that if you were, you were feeling like, Hey, this is kind of weird. You were encouraged to follow that through and, and explore it. So you had these, it was so compartmentalized, but then if you like, well, you know, I don't know about this in the Bible. No, stop right there. Like there were other things that were, you were cut in your track. And I think the, the, the thing that benefited me in my waking up moments is that I was already a pretty private person in general. So I didn't share everything with everyone. So I just, explore those on my own and didn't even tell people I had those doubts. So I was kind of able to, to work through those things and, you know, going to a university that was outside of my denominational sphere also helped in the long run, giving me new perspectives. But I think it really, it really does seem to come down to that environment because we, we deconstruct all the time, but if the environment is controlling, then it becomes a thing and a burden and we lose relationship and life as a result. Yeah, I you know, in thinking about this discussion, I was recounting moments that were really illustrative of the fact that I was in a high control environment. And a number of them basically you know, a theme with variations is like hanging out with my friends, talking about doing something that we all knew we weren't supposed to do, 
right? We were all on the same page and we're like, well, let's go ahead and do it because we're curious and interested in it. And then let's not tell anybody because we know it's wrong. And then feeling really guilty for even thinking that way. And so for, for in my mind, those alarm bells at that time weren't alarm bells like, hey, your environment is not okay. It was, hey, the devil is starting to tempt you and move you into territory you're not supposed to go in. And and in my case, these were simple things like, you know, with Seventh-day Adventism, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown is like dogmatic. And these are things like saying we're going to youth group on Friday night, but then going to a movie instead. So, you know, these aren't dangerous, life-threatening, or even theological problems, but that's the kind of stuff we were, like, freaking out about. They were right, Rajiv. All those movies, and now look at you, you're a dirty liberal socialist and you've (laughs) well and it it was so deep in me there were times that i didn't want to bail on my friends because i you know love being around them we would i would stay in the parking lot like we'd go to the movies i would stay in the parking lot hang out read the bible in my car (laughs) till they got out of the movie that is fantastic i mean that's not but (laughs) but illustrates for sure the control yeah exactly you know and the shame you don't have control over somebody's spirit without shame and i think that's the that's the the master alarm bell perhaps is is waking up to the fact that you have been shamed about things that are just you they're just they're just parts of who you are you know, in, in hearing your story, Reggie, that's what it made me think of. It's just like when I realized that I had been shamed to such a degree that my choice was to be a shell of a person, that, that was my choice. Then I felt like, okay, regardless of what is behind me in my wake, relationships, all of it. Jesus, whatever, whatever I have to leave behind, it's worth it. It's worth, it's worth stepping out because I will not be a shell of a person and I will not let shame be what fills me in the shell. That was the biggest alarm bell was when I came to that, but it took a while to get there. Bonnie, that is so beautiful. I mean, that is a sermon in itself, right? I, I really loved hearing that. I just want to respond to that by saying, as I said earlier, like, I think for so many of us, what we sacrifice in being in high control environments is a self. We literally have no self. When you say a shell of a person, I think what you're speaking to is that you respond with platitudes and the Bible. There's a response for everything. You do not have an opinion that is, that is yours. You do not have a thought that is yours. Because the fear is, is that the moment you have those thoughts, the devil is seeping in or you're being tempted to believe something different. I'm continuing to think about Jesus's invitation, you know, to come and die, right? Come and die. And I think what needs to die first in us is our certainty, our certainty about any of these things. And and what we are being invited into in being in these high-control environments is giving over our freedom, giving over our thoughts, giving over ourself to someone else and trusting that they have our best interest. And that is not true. Right. 
And that that's the rhetoric, right? Is that you don't have a self, you know, you don't have self-esteem, you have Christ esteem, the whole idea oh, of, of original <laughs> sin, the, the, the metaphors of you are a vessel, uh, the worship songs that say, I surrender all, not my will, but your will, the human videos and sketches where, you know, God is the puppet master and, you know, you, you hand back control to God and all that, all that stuff. It's just, it's so in there. So any kind of expression of the self is, is, you know, deemed of as selfish. And that for me, that worked because I had a real and still have a real issue with selfishness for a lot of different reasons. And like just this idea of being selfless was appealing for me for a lot of different reasons, probably. But, but when, when it mattered, you know, Casey earlier in this conversation, you talked about kind of a lot of us, our, our adolescence being probably the most entrenched time in a lot of ways in evangelicalism, at least for me, it was and how much damage that did because I was still, you know, adolescence is a whole search for self and who you are and, and becoming an adult. And it was, uh, it's a mixed bag for sure. Yeah. I, I know we're working on being beyond the binary, but something that keeps coming to mind, you know, hearing Bonnie share what she just shared and thinking about, you know, my own formation, there's this awful, horrendous, you know, sinful uh, teachings and formations around gender and gender roles and types. And to oversimplify it, women are supposed to be submissive to be a woman and men are supposed to be controlling and in charge. Um, and But be benevolent in your control. It's horrendous because it robs everyone of their personhood. It feeds the ego of one and robs the ego and self-worth of, of another. But even the feeding is about this stuff that's just jacked up. Right. And in, in those moments, like what – so, you know, we talk about all these wake-up moments. There are definitely moments, whether it's ideas or conversations or events or anything like that. Um, but then it's like – well, now what do I do with these wake up moments? What am I allowed to do? It's probably the first question because it's, it's interesting. At least for me, my experience was like, you know, what does God want? But if I really look at it, what has the church told me that God wants? The ultimate mediary was not Jesus. It was the church leadership, right? <laughs> that's who you really had to, to check with. And it was, that's, you know, that's where it kind of got muddy for, I think, a lot of people, because there was probably little wake up moments that were more acceptable than others. And I think probably all of us to our own, based on our own context, we knew which lines we could go up to and which lines we couldn't cross at all, which probably sent a lot of us into, well, at least for me, you know, places of isolation and being secretive and deception, you know, cause I didn't want, I wanted that community, but I didn't want to, I couldn't let go of these things that I was feeling or thinking. I think that's the biggest sorrow is what, how much risk we put our young people at, um, and creating this sort of environment because they feel like they cannot tell anyone anything. And so they end up in dangerous situations because there's no one they can talk to, whether that be that they are LGBT and they end up committing suicide, whether it be uh, they are feeling bad about their bodies as young women. Or they and, need to choose an abortion. Or they need to choose an abortion, right. 
the list is long of things that young people are addiction issues, drug addiction issues, um, and they feel like there's nowhere they can go. Um, we are setting our young people up to live in a double life. We are telling them that that the very people who say that they are safe are are in fact not safe when it comes to things that actually matter in the in moments of crisis. And and I I think that we do you know you wake up. Well, everybody's experience is different, but you know, you have these various iterations of wake up moments. And in my experience, like the alarm bell got just like a, a fire alarm or something, it starts off really kind of s- small and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you have to do something about it. And you realize the house is on fire and you have to get out to save yourself. Like it, it, it almost, for me, that's almost how it, and it had to end up before I had enough courage to leave. But I think that our propensity is to like, okay, so you let it burn behind you and you're out now into this new realm and maybe you find freedom and you discover yourself and all of these things. But I think it's really important to stop for a minute. And like we've been talking about, reflect on the impact that being in that environment in the first place had on one's soul and one spirit and how that sort of lives with us. You know, there's healing. Healing is possible, but there's an imprint that we can use, a woundedness that we can use then to connect with other people, but it's there. Like we want to leave it all behind, like for real, (laughs) leave it all behind. And I, I don't know. I think that's not possible. And maybe that's part of this whole conversation of beyond the binary of deconstruction and reconstruction is to explore in some ways the the imprint, the impact on us through the whole various processes, the spiral process of deconstruction and reconstruction. Yeah. I mean, d- denial sometimes is necessary for survival. And survival is a moment-to-moment goal, but it isn't where we all want to end up spending the majority of our lives. We don't want to just be surviving. So, you know, part of the work is to return to the painful parts. Get professional qualified therapy with experts like Debbie Glander or someone near you. You know, I pray, I mean, I earnestly pray that you have folks in your corner that can hold that with you. You know, spaces like intersections, like Casey said, those are spaces where that's possible. But yeah, survival is important. So please do that first and foremost. It's it's not a life. Uh, yeah, I, I would just say that if you think that deconstruction means leaving it all behind and never having to pick any of it up again, you're missing out. The people that I find most spiritually grounded, most profoundly faithful, are the people who have left it, who literally deconstructed, let the house burn, and have said, what now can I make beautiful out of the ashes? Do what you got to do to survive. But know that there's thriving. Know that there's healing possible for you. And get the help you need. And find the community you need. Whether that be through intersections or through an EDM group, you know, whatever. If you just need to dance it out, find a space that speaks to transcendence and gives you life and community. Because I think if there's anything we've learned over the last year and a half, it's that we all are in dire need of 
intimate connection of relationship and that we don't really thrive without it. Right. And I think that hopefully what, what you're hearing in this initial conversation as we kind of, you know, destroy this binary is that deconstruction is not remaining an empty shell and just filling it with something else. It's not about the ideas. It's not about the religion. It's not about any of that. It's moving from being an empty shell to a living, breathing, evolving form of life that becomes its own entity and has its own agency. And I think we forget that sometimes because whether we're conservative or liberal or evangelical or progressive or whatever, we can still be fundamental or fundamentalist in that journey. And I think that we have a lot of, when we talk about deconstruction, we boil it down to these simple ideas and theologies and all that kind of stuff. And yes, that's part of it. But once we have those theologies, how do we adopt it? Do we still hold it in the same way that we did before? Because if we did, then did we really deconstruct? And we understand that there is, this is a spectrum of, you know, earlier we were talking about, you know, we were using the word survival and, you know, all of us have had, you know, varying degrees of intensity in terms of how difficult this journey has been and being in high control environments. But I think that the, the goal is still the same is becoming a person with agency. That's really well said, Jeff. Yeah, so the invitation maybe of this episode is to ask yourself, how did I wake up? What was going on inside of me? What was going on around me? Where's the pain in that? Where did it hurt? And uh, revisit. And a companion question is, how am I waking up? Because it's perpetual. And huge gratitude for Debbie, who's going to sort of guide us a little bit into those questions, or who, who guides us into those questions. And then also teaches us um, what is available on the other side. Right. So here, here's just a, a little bit of Bonnie's conversation with Debbie Glander that is is relevant to to, to what we've been talking about today. And on, on the other side of that portion of the interview, uh, we'll we'll move on to uh, the rest of the episode. Yeah, I hear people often say, you know, they they develop worlds of connections too on the outside, but the people they're connected to really they have no idea where where they've come from. So there's a part of them that always sort of remains unseen and left That's so behind. important. Yeah. yeah, I love love that you brought that up. I you know I call it kind of we feel like a fraud. Yeah, they we have they have no idea you know what we've experienced, and there's a lot of shame around it. I mean, yeah. I know. For me, I did not want to tell my friends I was that person that was annoyingly, annoyingly knocking at their door every weekend or that weird kid in school that couldn't celebrate the holidays or, you know, always being separated from all the activities or, you know, just that, just how people looked at us, you know, and, and mm-hmm. how I felt in the world because of having no coping tools. People don't have any idea. And even as adults, you know, I'm, I'd be in conversation and I've, a lot of clients have shared this people will be talking and I'm like, I don't even know what they're talking about because I was so behind culturally, so behind socially, so behind academically, you know, so behind, um, in all the different, you know, social, like we're going to talk about, you know, social psychological stages felt very childlike. So I, I appreciate people have been able to share with you that experience because I know I could relate to it. 
And so it helps go, yeah, we, we feel really young in this adult body a lot of times. It's so much. I mean, even now as we're talking, you know, I, I think, wow, I've heard this before and I've read about this and I've had this experience, but just being in conversation with you, I'm feeling in my own body things coming up mm-hmm. because the the journey from intellectualizing the experience and then actually letting it sink into the body itself yeah. and to feel it mm-hmm. is yeah. for me anyways, that is, it's been very challenging to make that journey. It It is. And I, I highly recommend um, for my clients I have a practitioner I work with that does trauma sensitive yoga and I really mm-hmm. trust her and I do her, she has amazing training. She also has a religious trauma background. So I will, you know, use different modalities of, of other people in the community that I feel can hold the, the client in a way that understands the religious trauma or the cult trauma. It's really important. I, I love that you're speaking to that, Bonnie, that yes, it's, it, it's in our body. It's, this is a somatic response we're having to this trauma. And a lot of us didn't even know it was trauma. Right. You know, we, it, it's not one of those, when you leave, then you're done and you're over. Right. There is a long process and not even being able to really heal until we know the complexity right. and the comprehensiveness of what happened to us. I mean, that that is almost mind-blowing for a lot of people, like right. not even realizing, because it's really the invisible trauma. We don't, you know, it hasn't been till the last, you know, few years, really, that people are talking about it as being religious trauma, spiritual abuse, whatever word, but it is the same as trauma. It has the effects, same manifestations as PTSD Mm -hmm. and also shame and trauma. It's all intertwined. So a lot's happening in our body when we're, you know, starting to do that uh, deconstructing and healing and unraveling. Yeah. And I I know, Debbie, from other conversations and some email exchanges that we've had that the developmental side of this, uh, it it sounds like that's where you find a lot of the complexity in not just in the healing journey, but also in the awaken the journey towards understanding oneself and becoming aware of oneself. And I wonder if there's anything else, you know, related to development and this phenomenon of religious trauma that you think would be useful and important for our listeners to hear. Yeah, I, I would love to talk more about that. And also stop me if I'm getting too detailed, because this is just a piece I think I am so interested in mm-hmm. and continue to learn more about due to how unseen it's been and spoken, but how detrimental yeah. it has been for almost all of us in being able to forge a, a competent, healthy adult life. Mm-hmm. There's a psychologist, Eric Erickson, who developed the psychosocial stages of development, I think like back in the 50s, I'm not sure exactly what year. He breaks it down to these different stages, different accomplishments, psychological and social accomplishments that we, we need to make. In, and he breaks it down to different ages and things we want to accomplish. Like at one stage, it's trust, autonomy, um, initiative, intimacy, uh, yeah, ego integrity. So it kind of breaks it down. So the titles aren't quite as important as the questions that go along with each stage mm-hmm. that he that he developed, these existential questions. it's almost comical. And I know the gender of this is funny how they go exactly against what happens to us when we're raised in a high control group. So let's just, I have them right here. Let's just say one of the the first existential questions in the first stage is, you know, can I trust the world? 
Hmm. Well, we know we're raised. No, you can't trust the world. Those are worldly people that are not safe. Um, The next stage is, is it okay to be me? No, it's not okay to be you. You, There's no, there's no individual, you know, growing here. You got to be what everyone else wants you to be. You know, there's no, there's nothing that's um, unique or special about you. Is it okay for me to do move and act? Well, only if it's under the constricted rules of what the religion's allowing you to do. You know, it's very restrict. And these two also, can I make it in a world of people and things? Who am I and what can I be? So these are just going down. And when you just right. look at those, these really important ideas and, and, and developments about ourself that are so impeded, especially the indoctrination from childhood and the toxic doctrines. So basically, we learn that we cannot trust ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have no sense of competency, mm-hmm. no agency, no trust of others no authenticity. And so you're going around the world. How do you go date? How do we go out and apply for jobs? How do we have the, you know, social relationships when we haven't developed any of these really important core competencies of, of ourselves and then ourselves in the world? Those are like how we are as human. Let's just break it down. So those are the stages. And then we break it down into four different categories. And that's sexual, social, emotional, and intellectual. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you and I, we could sit here and, and we could, right. I know we could put a list together, right? So just think, you know, intellectually, the, the, the impediment and the delay we had, we've had information withheld from us. Yeah. So we, you know, have a limited amount of knowledge. Mm-hmm. You think about, I don't know about for how you were raised, but definitely for us, it was politics, culture, right. science, sex, all psychology. They were all, you know, bad, need to be limited. Definitely repressed critical thinking, mm-hmm. did not learn how to think for ourselves, no opinions, felt really behind intellectually, mm-hmm. you know, just really, really limited. And the other three areas, so the social, I mean, that we, you know, we're really immature in relationships. Not knowing how to set boundaries in relationships, you know, feeling like a fraud. People not knowing, like I would have clients say, I don't even know how to date. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what to say or what to do. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to go for this job interview. I have no idea, you know, how to be, you know, really being behind, being behind culturally, being out socially. And, you know, I remember people talking about, it was, I was out for a long time, but it was back like in the early 80s. And people were talking about politics. I had no idea. I was sitting there like pretending I would do a lot of pretending, which never goes over well, because it's obvious when you're, when you're, when you're acting like, you know, something that you don't. So luckily I, I try not to do that that much now because it's not, not, a, not a really authentic thing to do. But back then when there was so much shame, you know, I was always pretending that I fit in when I knew I didn't. And then we talked a little bit about emotionally how, you know, having these developmental stages really impeded. We're never allowed to have our own emotions, our own feelings are not okay. Mm. And, and if there was any, there were certain ones, you could be happy, don't be angry. You know, there was just right. not a, a lot of personal experience with our emotions. And then of course, sexually, I mean, that one's probably, mm. I think one of the biggest, the most damaging and dangerous parts of the, the development that has caused so much harm. Mm-hmm. You know, from uh, probably all, you know, whatever degree it is, but probably all the high control groups, cults, organizations, mm-hmm. there is a, you know, just this sexual message that, you know, we as women are bad, our bodies are bad, or 
no edge, no healthy education. Like I have one client that was saying she's married now and she's really struggling, struggling sexually. She's like, there was no bridge for me to learn, you know, like your body's bad, bad, bad. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. All of a sudden you're supposed to like really know what to do and, and connect with your body and be able to be, you know, you know, intimate with your husband. And for a lot of my clients, it brings up anxiety, stomach issues, pelvic pain, feelings of being bad. To me, it's just, it's, devastating and really mm-hmm. sad because I see this and I'm sure you probably do too see this a lot and um, such a beautiful part of being a human you know turned into something um, yeah. you know so so damaged and so negative and it's hard it's really hard for people to reclaim that mm-hmm. possible mm-hmm. but hard so yeah. so those would be the four areas I would say in that in the psychosocial development and the stages and then the consequences of being so thwarted in these stages and delayed Big thank you to Debbie Glander for that portion of our conversation. And actually, if you would like to hear the entire interview that Bonnie did with Debbie Glander, we're really wanting to boost up our email list here at Irenacast and let you know about things that are coming up, like intersections that Casey mentioned earlier in the conversation and upcoming episodes. And we have a lot of ideas. We're not just back with regular episodes. We're back with renewed sense of purpose, I guess you could say. So we want to make sure that we're regularly keeping everyone updated on those things. So if you would like to sign up for email list, just go to our website and then you'll be prompted to put in your email address and then you'll get a download of the entire interview that bonnie did with debbie glander and it's it's really wonderful so uh don't forget to sign up on our email list and you can do that at irenacast.com and if you would like to add your voice to this conversation you can do that at irenacast.com slash 183 that's the show notes for this particular episode and on those show notes you'll find a complete list of all the other ways that you can like follow and contact the show that's irenacast.com slash 183 83 uh, on the other side of the music it feels good to say that again on the other side of the music on the other side of the music we are going to be playing one of our segments called this or that all right we are on the other side of the music and we are going to be playing i think this is new Man, so many segments and games, but we're going to be playing this or that. And essentially, each host is going to present an eternal choice between two different things. One you keep, and the other gets snapped out of existence forever via your magical infinity stones. And uh, that's kind of how we're going to play this game. So each of us will present it, and it could lead to overwhelming agreement, and we hold hands and say, yes, we are in agreement on what should leave, and it could lead to immense debate and argument and uh it could rip the very fabric of irenicast as we know it so you know we're, we're putting the life of our show it's a good way to start so uh who would like to start who who wants to present their their eternal choice okay pizza or gravity and one we have to get rid of forever and one you have to get rid of forever. So do we choose the thing we're getting rid of or we're choosing the thing? You're we choosing want to keep? the thing uh, that you would keep. I'm going to have to go with gravity. Have you ever seen those science experiments on what happens when something is in lack of gravity? It just blows up. Or is, is there an assumption that once gravity has gone, that our bodies will still be able to survive? Because basically you're asking me to choose between death and pizza. It's still a hard choice, but I'm going to go with gravity. <laughs> 
I'm gonna I'm gonna keep gravity. I feel like gravity is really overrated. Uh, as a bigger <laughs> person, I would love the ability to just float around, you know. So I'm choosing pizza personally. Okay. Um, I I pick I pick gravity too. I don't think you could eat pizza without gravity. Are you sure? Hey, you got an opposable thumb. Exactly. You could, you could hang on to that pizza. Thank you, Rashid. I'm I'm choosing pizza, man. I'm keeping pizza. That's I right. want to float around. Exactly, Rajiv. Thank you. I knew you were the sensible one in the group here. Thank you. We float around eating my pizza. Right, and we're not eating none of that fake pizza either. Let's broccoli. Not do this. Let's not do this. Broccoli bullshit. That's right. That's heresy. <laughs> you know, for those of you listening, I mean, it's appropriate which we talk about. You know deconstruction if you're just listening for the first time rajiv and i have had a and casey as well have had a long-going argument about the validity of pizza toppings and uh you know as a progressive person who's open to ideas i believe that it is important that you can put whatever you want on the pizza because pizza is about the form and not the substance uh rajiv and casey however they're fundamentalists they believe that you should follow the rigid rules of what they deem is necessary to go on a pizza and i apologize to everyone listening for that and i apologize that that has seeped into this wonderful beautiful world that we have created in an ironicast and uh, uh gentlemen i still love you but Please keep your fundamentalism at home. Well, Jeff, when you're wrong, you're wrong. So. I, I think it's interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm with Jeff on the pizza and the gravity thing. So, I, I mean, maybe maybe it's just a, a, a matter of difference between, like, science and religion. Oh, you know? there you go. That the, <laughs> that, that Do, you the fundamentalism. Do you hear this? <laughs> yeah, the people that have these, like, they don't care about pizza – they would just get rid of pizza, which makes sense. <laughs> it's so not if, about if, not caring so about pizza. If you really love pizza, you have some rules around That's pizza. That's right. Right, right. Well, I heard that too. I heard that before. The universe has some rules <laughs> around being alive. So. I, I heard that before, Rajiv. I heard it before. If you really love Jesus, then here are the rules that you need to follow in order to not go to hell. That is right. Sounds that exactly the same. Right. Narrow is the way for those who enjoy pizza. <laughs> this was a great choice, Casey. Very. That um, was good. And yeah. you don't need you don't need either to live. Kinda. I'm but pretty sure we you need have gravity. That conversation to live. later. <laughs> we could ask a physicist about that. I'll I'll bring my daughter in on the conversation. Yeah, she just read like twenty <laughs> space books and uh, from the library, and she has told me everything I need to know about stars and neutrons, something or other. I she knows way more, and she talked about gravity and blowing up if you went into space. So, but not only that, the planets need gravity in order to stay in their orbits. Like right. we would just be just flying off the Earth, flying not just flying off the Earth, but at the least Earth would we would be have flying pizza. out into like. Not it'll be would be flying away from the sun. There'd be it would just be yeah. We'd have pizza. We'd have pizza for a minute. It'd be dogs and cats living <laughs> together. It'd be awful. <laughs> All right. So we're split. Oh, Bonnie, we may have to. Yeah, we're split. Have to create a spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Um. All right, Rajiv, you have you have one for us. Yeah, I do. Pineapple on pizza <laughs> or poop on your shoes. Which are you getting rid of forever? I'm getting rid of pineapple on pizza. I can't even with this. I think it's obvious what my answer is going to be, but this is getting ridiculous that you're comparing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> to a wonderfully acceptable and delicious sweet ingredients that can complement any savory thing on your pizza. Have you ever had a barbecue chicken pizza with a little bit of pineapple to add that perfect sweetness? Like this is <laughs> Have you ever had grilled pineapple? Have you ever incorporated the, pineapple into your your see, outdoor the, cooking? This is the, this, this is where the theology comes into play because pineapple on pizza is great. It's it's perfectly okay because contextually our Hawaiian siblings are like, "Hey, we're going to put some pineapple on pizza and share it with the world." I'm like, "That's great." Pineapple on pizza is okay with me. It's just like broccoli. So that, that therefore there's the choice. Which which are you going to get rid of forever? Broccoli or pineapple? Are you switching it on me? No, no, no I'm not switching it. Okay. On I'm I'm getting rid of crap on the on the I I do, we just recently got a dog and uh I have uh I'm really bad with smells. My <laughs> like <laughs> gag reflex is just really bad. So I've I've literally I've spent 2 hours researching online the best thing that I could do to pick up dog crap while I'm walking this dog and not like not be this, you know, heaving person on the side of the road that's just like gagging with shirt over my mouth trying to pick this stuff up and uh if if we could get rid of defecation in general, I would be all for it. I would give up almost anything as a result of that. So um, that's 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 my answer. So Bonnie, you're the tiebreaker well, here. Yeah, it's I'm mean, definitely if it's between pineapple on pizza or poop on shoes, poop on shoes has to go. You can just, pick the pineapple off the pizza if you really don't like it that that much. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Although I would again try it. It's, yeah, it's it's good. It's good. It's good. Right next to the corn and avocado. It's mm. very good. See, why, there you yeah, go. How, there you go. How, See, this is the problem how, with you people. This is the problem with you, you people. How can you go to corn? That's right. We what? give you we give you pineapple and I now know. you want corn and, and like, uh, avocado. Yeah, what? Roasted corn, <laughs> avocado, See? red onion with some this olives on a uh, with some white uh, sauce, onion. that's a good how, pizza right there. First of all, how does red onion even come in the conversation? Onions are fine. That's no, I'm right. saying that these are complement flavors. Like that, you put that together on a pizza, like that, it brings out See, the corn and the avocado. I, 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 I think the real disagreement here is what's an open face sandwich and what's a pizza. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the dilemma here. And that's essentially all a pizza is. Oh God! <laughs> See, I. I don't even know what to do, man. I just, Casey, we need to move on. We need to move on. <laughs> Apparently this, this segment this is, is now the pizza debate part like 50 and we'll just like keep coming back to this over and over again. So, so Bonnie, save us with your, with your next uh, choice of this or that. Okay. Rivers or the ocean. Hmm. That's hard. I'm going to choose. Uh, so I really, really do love the ocean. So I'm going to I'm going to say that I would be willing to sacrifice rivers uh, so that I could uh, enjoy the ocean. I love the expansion. I love being able to look at something so huge and just meditate on how small I am in the wake of it, literally. So yeah, I love the ocean. Yeah, I'm with Casey. I can't. I could never sacrifice the ocean. I've spent the majority of my life near on the coast and. Uh, I there I just love it. I love the the sound of the waves. I love everything about the ocean. Uh, although I have an appreciation for rivers, I can't hold a candle to the 
to the ocean, specifically the Pacific Ocean. You know, I don't know about all those other oceans, but that's that's the one I know the most. Yes, I'm actually surprised at my answer here, but I I, I would keep rivers for I don't know. It's like a lot of reasons, and I I love like tropical places. I'm you know I'm from South India. We've got some great beaches and that part of the world and the island groups, but I don't know. Rivers are life. Fresh water is necessary. And I mean, oceans are fantastic, but I mean, magnificent waterfalls, just even like seasonal streams over prairie grass. I don't know. There's just something magical about rivers. Yeah. It's a super hard one for me. That's why I picked it. Cause I, I identify with, river as like a part of my mm. spiritual journey like yeah, getting sort of caught in the flow mm-hmm. but um but o- the ocean is just so, such a powerful force like i think of love as an ocean so i don't i mean it's it's a really it's really hard it's a hard one to pick i'm hoping that this is a contextualized choice so like in this moment i'm drawn to the ocean, so I would give up rivers. But I'm hoping I could revisit that. It's actually great because now here's my opportunity to sell you all bottled water because you're all going to be dehydrating by the ocean. Be like, oh, fresh spring water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <It's> too much. <laughs> What's wrong with capitalism? That? Maybe that's another. <laughs> that's, that's, that's another episode. Another <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of capitalism, my uh, choice is uh, are two things that I have longed for and missed over the last year and a half due to the current pandemic. So my this or that is movie theaters or live music concerts. That's so hard. What is wrong with everybody? (laughs) (laughs) Why is nobody picking, like, the easy one? I mean, I went with poop on shoes as an option. I thought the point of this game was to, like, create some internal tension and and doubt. That's true. I'm used to being the outlier on these segments. (laughs) That's a tough one, man. I'm going to answer, though. I'm going to say I would keep the live music because I feel like you can somewhat... You know, a movie experience, it's it's one-sided. There's stuff coming at you. And, yeah, there's people in the theater. But you can kind of replicate that at home. You know, invite friends over. You know, you could all even pitch in and get a big screen and some decent speakers. But live music, there's nothing like it. I agree. I would pick. I, I love going to the movies. I think the hardest thing about that, choice is not so much that you know like a repetition of going to the movies but it's that it's there the theater is there like when you need an escape for a minute (laughs) you you can like look on your you can find out what's playing what is playing and you can have it on the calendar like you're going to be able to go to the movies and removing that is really hard but worth it if the choice is live music or or concerts I mean, there's live music and then there's concerts. And I think you said concerts. Concerts, Yeah, I would have to choose that. 
Yeah, I would choose that as well, even though I'm a huge uh, movie fan. Uh, but just the ability to be with people singing, I mean, it's not even really about the entertainment of the person, as it is about the energy of the space that I really thrive in. So I would pick live music or concerts also. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I met live music, so it's like even, you know, the local artists at the brew pub in the village, sure. you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and the spectacles are great, too. But. I thought you meant you were singing. Oh, God, no. <laughs> That's live uh, music. I'd pick the movies over my singing. <laughs> <laughs> I will be the voice of dissension here, and, and I'm, I'd have to go with the movies. I don't think anyone's surprised by that, but... Uh, it is it is closer than most people might expect it to be, um, but there's just something. I think I had to boil it down to the the annoyances. Like when you go to a theater, there's some annoyances, but there are far more annoyances at certain live concerts, depending upon. Uh, and I'm never able to afford the really really good seats anyway, so <laughs> it always it's just you know ways. And I'm, I'm rethinking that crowd of a space, at least in movie theater, I have a little bit more space now, you know, being cr- in a big crowd. It's not so appealing right now, but maybe I'll feel that way, you know, six months after the pandemic is really over. <laughs> We're not seeing all these things pop up. So, but in, you know, the theater has been my sanctuary since I was a kid. So I, I got to go with the movies. All right. We did it. We did our, our first official episode back, and uh, we're going to continue this conversation of beyond the binary of deconstruction and reconstruction. I'm really excited about our next week's conversation. It's going to be really interesting, and I think, uh, at least in the space, I think it's going to be a unique take on that next step in our, you know, in in the deconstruction journey. So. Um, yeah, that'll that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy Renacast and you'd like to join the work that we are doing, please consider donating. Donating to our PayPal link at irenacast.com slash PayPal. We're committed to keeping the show for free for listeners, but there are costs involved and your financial support helps. That's irenacast.com slash PayPal. Irenacast is also a nonprofit organization, so your donations are tax deductible. For more information on other ways you can partner with the show, please go to irenacast.com slash support. And some of the other ways include our Amazon affiliate link and, of course, our merch. You can also support by simply making sure that you've subscribed or are following to the following the show on whatever platform you're listening on right now. And if the platform allows it, leave a rating and or review. We always love to hear from you. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Rajiv. Thanks for joining the conversation. 